This is Manifest Mindset, where we delve into our true passions, inspire the best out of ourselves, and live our life with true intention every single day. All right, welcome back to another episode of Manifest Mindset. How are you doing, Nick? Um, I'm doing fantastic, my friend. Um, first of all, for everybody out there listening, Bob is a very gracious man. He is the uh, patient future doctor that uh, we all need, but not the one we deserve. I was uh, running a little bit late for this whole podcast, and I was actually meeting up with a couple of the fellows uh, and learning from them after the clinic tonight. So I had a quick session with them, learning a ton, and this man was patient enough to still put up with me for all, through all my nonsense. Wow. Can you share with us one pearl? Any any tangible pearls you got tonight? Yeah, absolutely, Bob. Um, we had a few. Um, we were talking about both the knee and the lumbar spine and doing some hands-on stuff and some of the things the fellows were learning. And this is more of a very specific physical therapy thing for a hands-on skill. But giving a, for the knee and prone, doing a overpressure into knee flexion um, with a valgus movement at the same time to gap the medial compartment. Um, fantastic for any kind of medial knee pain with deep squatting as well as for um, early onset knee OA that's involved with the medial joint to help reduce uh, some of the early onset varus. Wow. Uh, yeah, very physical therapy related. Um, but thanks. <laughs> thanks for sharing that. That's a great, uh, great pearl. Absolutely, Bob. So how are you, my friend? Perfect. Um, well, this, this week, so as this podcast, now, I'm still in physical therapy school and with all the coronavirus things going on, uh, many things are getting delayed, especially clinicals. So we, we finally got word about what is going to happen to the clinical experience that's going to be, that's supposed to be happening this summer. So it's just pretty much normal. Normally there's going to be a 12 week experience at, at a clinic that you chose. Um, but now they're going to reduce it to a four to six week clinical experience with like other requirements, like maybe watching webinar stuff based on like individual case by case basis for the student. So, yeah, so they're just, they're really making sure that, you know, you guys still hit the bare minimum. You still graduated and not put a burden on any clinic, but uh, yeah, struggle out there. I'm sure Bob. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have mixed feelings, but um, I'm happy that we're still on the path of just, graduating and still staying on the path of just getting it done. So I'm glad that's happening. Um, also, now, on, on that topic a little bit, we went off on kind of a side camp today talking with myself and the other residents just about kind of when we finished PT school, other pathways, we took how old we are. Because now you skipped a year in the program, correct? Yes. All right. Bob, how, how old are you now? Um, I mean, I'm still – I'm relatively – Old? No, no, I'm not. I'm 22. Uh, um, now, are you going to be 22 when you graduate PT school? I, I no, I'll be 23. So, okay. yes, I'll be 23. I, I thought you were somewhere on that edge. That's what I thought. Gotcha. Yes, but either way, I'm it, I'm still very blessed to be at this age and be graduating school, especially graduate graduate school, physical therapy school, um, and be able to practice. Oh, so that's something I'm very grateful It's all about your ambition, all about the hard work you put in, and a little bit of luck with that, too. But uh, as I always say, age is purely an opportunity. It doesn't mean a darn thing unless you use that voice people of. Yes. So last week we talked about podcast episodes, and many of the podcasts we gave were physical therapy-related, but also some of them were mindset or business-related. Um, so I thought today – it would be interesting to talk about a book that I read recently. And I also shared this book with you. Um, basically it's a finance book. Um, and I feel like in the coronavirus times, it exposes many of our weaknesses. For example, I like that. Um, health environments that bring out a weak link that might yeah. not have been exposed under other circumstances. Yes. For example, um, health could be, a link that's been exposed due to the coronavirus. Um, maybe mental aspects have been exposed due to the coronavirus, but I feel like the one particularly have been financials, um, especially for most of the people in the United States, because 
maybe I think at the time like 20 to 30 percent of Americans are unemployed. Um, so that like creates this huge weak link of financials. Now I feel like with every part like mental fitness, uh, physical fitness, and financial fitness, these are all important parts of our life, and I feel like they're all individual things that we have to be aware of and work on and have that sort of balance. What do you think, Nick? Absolutely, Bob. Um, you know, it's it's easy to fall by the wayside in our hygiene for whatever aspect we're talking about, mental, physical, emotional, um, spiritual, intellectual. And it's all about having these little consistent habits that keep ourselves solid. And if we break this down to the body's stimulus and drive and idea for survival, it's all based on this idea of homeostasis for us to be able to survive well and meet the demands of whatever environment is around us, which means that we have the ability to change and adapt our environment and actions to change ourselves. But if we don't do that, if we let ourselves fall to whatever uh, whatever way the wind takes our sails, we can only go so far. Exactly. So this book, um, this book is called Get a Financial Life, Personal Finance in Your 20s and 30s. It's by Beth Colbiner. Um, I highly recommend this book because it's it's very practical and it talks, especially if you're like very financially illiterate. Um, it talks about insurance, it talks about taxes, it talks about retirement, stocks, investments, um, all of those things it talks about. Now, Bob, and again, for, for yourself as a reader, for, as the audience for you, you mentioned more financially illiterate. Where, before you read this book, where would you put yourself on the scale of being more illiterate or illiterate? So if I say, like, zero is, like, completely illiterate and then 10 is, you know, you have a good understanding of everything, um, I would say I'm around, like, a three. Okay. So yeah, I, I'd probably put myself at, like, a – I like a four or five where it's like, hey, I can hold my own, but dude, I got a tire room to grow. Yes. So I, I'm like very familiar with investments, things like that. Um, but on the side of health insurance, on the side of taxes, on the on the side of retirement, um, that's like I'm completely lost there. But this, I feel like this book itself really helped me playing uh, set a playing level field. Um, and I thought I'd just talk a little bit about what I learned. On this on the, on the podcast today, and maybe you could chip in as well. I love it. So, um, one of the main things it starts with is having a retirement, or not a retirement, an emergency fund. Um, especially, I think during this time in this coronavirus time, people are getting laid off, people are getting furloughed. An emergency fund is for that rainy day, and I feel like this is a rainy day for a lot of people. Um, and basically, it talks about getting three to six months of having an emergency fund, or at least one month to start out. That's that's like the bare minimum. That's like just so you can be safe financially wise in case something bad happens, like the coronavirus or something that really affects your life financially in general. Um, and that's something that I've been working on the past year. I, I, I got an emergency fund. I got that set in place in case something does happen. Um, so I feel like that's the number one step with financial life. Now you might be thinking, but well, Bob, I'm, I'm having like trouble paying my bills. I'm like every day I'm paying, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. How in the world am I going to save three to six months of expenses or worth of expenses to live as an emergency fund? And if you made the argument of like, oh, I make so much money and the – government's going to tax you an additional 10%. No matter how hard you try to fight them or whatever, they're still going to take that 10%. And you're going to have to live with 90% of your income that's that's left. So if you can just imagine that 10% that's being taken away, put in a savings account or some sort of um, money market account, that's where that emergency fund can come from. Um, so I mean, it's common sense. It's logical. Everybody should have an emergency fund, but it's also, even though it's common sense, it's not done. And I think, Bob, when we look at our kind of our inner world, our mentality, too, the interesting point this brings up is not just what happens in a rainy day, but in any moment of uncertainty, it's about having the I'm, – I'm, I'm a man, I'm a fan of having choices for myself and empowering others to have 
choices and have options for the good things. And so if we take this mentality and we take the idea of saying, hey, the more that we do these type of things, the more that we have options, have, you know, two, three months worth of a fund, it can prevent us from making some choices that don't really better ourselves. We might, if we're in a, a crisis and we need to come up with some form of income in two weeks, we might make some choices that are not that are good for our short term to get by, but are actually pretty detrimental to our long term goals of what we want. And so I think that having this is if you even don't see it from the argument of, hey, for the rainy day, but see it from the argument of have freedom and financial freedom can lead to freedom in the rest of your life. Exactly. And and we talk about like following your passion and doing things you love. And obviously like with, with things that you do if you do things you love, the money will come eventually, but people can also make the argument saying that, oh, I can't pay rent with doing things I'm passionate about, or I can't pay rent with happiness or whatever. Um, but at the same time, if you have that freedom, it allows you to to work towards the, the things you're passionate about and things that, that make you happy, which, which, like you say, gives you that financial freedom or flexibility. But if you have that fund or emergency fund or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Um, the second thing in the book that, that I feel like, and these are all like my takeaways from the book, is to pay off the high interest debt first. Um, whatever debt you have, pay off the high interest debt versus the low interest debt. And, and just being aware of, of which debts have high interest rates. Um, and if you pay the minimum, what is the interest rate they're going to charge you versus if you just pay it off altogether? Now, of course, this is all easier said than done. People are living paycheck, check to paycheck and whatever. Um, but it's still, I think, a good idea to just take a step back and look at what your finances are um, in terms of everything. And now, Bob, see, I've, I've got a yeah. question for you with this that um, I'm curious your opinion. It's something that I've kind of wrestled with and struggle with. And when I think I find answers, I find more confusion. And that's how it usually works in the world, right? We think we know something. We investigate more, and it reminds us just how confused we are. Yes. If we, if we have a battle between, hey, should I? I have both, and this is a real situation for me. I have both student loans and not too many long-term investments. And we've got, I mean, we know how the power of compounding interest is huge, right? You have to yes. get rid of interest and um, or build on interest when you're young. So that way you can have many years to change and aggregate. Is it, did it talk about in the book, is it smarter, is it more beneficial to work on decreasing loans that you already have that you owe people? Or is it better if you should kind of any, um, any investments that you can make in the future, is it better to try and invest more now? Because both have the power of having compounded interests over time. But one's negative, one's positive. Do you do some of both? What's, what's the approach here? So I was going to talk – this was in my list of what I was going to talk about, um, and oh, it, it is mentioned in the book. Um, so basically, student loans or mortgages or whatever, those that have, like – those are that are big have a certain interest rate. Um, the, the interest rate could be 4%, 5%, whatever, per year. Um, and you have to look at that and compare it to what is, like, what can – uh, a retirement fund bring to you that's more. So, for example, um, it's smarter to pay off debts with higher interest rates, so like 18% per year, versus paying a student interest or, or student loan debt for like 4%, 5% when you could be investing in a retirement fund like an IRA or a 401k that averages out at around 7 to 8% annually interest-wise. Uh, those, I just threw a bunch of numbers. Did, did that make any sense? Yes, it did. So you're saying, and I, in general, I agree, but I think it's interesting where we get the facts about financial, and then our emotions come into play too, right? And that sometimes it's hard to separate them when we don't break it down. So you're saying that it's, it's a numbers game. Play it always by, it doesn't matter if you're winning or you're losing. It's all about, hey, am I winning less or am I losing more? And that kind of back and forth. Of it's always by what percentage is greater, and you're going to play those cards. Yes. Well, I think, according to this book especially, I think it talks about paying off all the high-interest debts you have first, 
paying the minimum for all the low interest debts and then maxing out your retirement fund like the IRA or the 401k. And especially if your employer gives you a 401k that's matched, um, which means like however much you put in your 401k, they also match that. That's like that's like the best free money deal compounding interest thing you can have, which is better than paying off as fast as you can. And of course, I'm not a financial advisor. This is what I just took away from the book. And that's it makes sense to me. You're not giving a deep intellectual legal advice on this. Yes. And, but but it makes sense to me. Like if if you're making more money putting in putting money into the in your retirement fund compared to paying off your student loans, then it makes more sense to put your money into the retirement fund. Absolutely. And I, I would agree. And it but it's I think it's also interesting where, you know, different people have different senses of security. Some people have a very kind of secure temperament and they would rather say, Let me get rid of all my debt first. Um, well, potentially yeah. that, that can be leveraged. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Or sometimes people say, well, no, 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 I want, I want to invest in the future. I want to get out there. I'm very kind of uh, have an out there personality. Let me just invest everything so I can spend a lot of time but still have these loans. And so I think part of it kind of crosses in, okay, as we look at our mentality, yes, do it by the numbers, but also do you think, Bob, there might, and I want to get your opinion, do you think there might be some value in saying, hey, if the numbers are close, if it's kind of a coin toss, it's worth not stressing about and kind of going to whatever feels good for you. Yeah, of course. Well, like if you feel like your student loan debt is such a huge number, it's like weighing you down every time you look at it. Obviously, if the numbers are close by a lot, it, it makes more sense to to tackle the student loan debt first, in my mind. Um, so that's that's how I look at it. I like it, Bob. All right, what what else we got on this? Uh, this docket, this lineup, this uh, very practical book review. Well, um, talking about 401ks and retirement funds and IRA. So I already, I always knew what, I always knew like the terms 401k and IRA, but I never knew what the difference was or if there was even a difference. Um, so that means that that means that as soon as you retire, you automatically get four hundred and one thousand dollars. Uh, close. <laughs> no, it's, it's, for all the listeners out there saying, goodness, I'm actually joking. That would be intimidating if I thought that. <laughs> well, it's, I, the, I never knew what the difference was until I read this book. So, and it blew my mind. So basically, um, it's still very confusing. There's, there's traditional IRAs, there's Roth IRAs, um, there's traditional 401ks, there's Roth 401ks. But the difference between a 401k and an IRA is most often 401ks are provided by employers. Um, and the special thing about 401ks is that employers can match it. Like it's like an employee employer thing. So like you work for a company or a charity or a religious organization or whatever, they give you a 401k, you invest in it. The companies can match that the money you put in. Whereas an IRA, you don't have to be a part of any company or organization or whatever. You could just set up an IRA yourself. Right. Um, so that's now, more the independent one that you can go after. You know, if people out there have heard of other things like a 401B, a 401B is kind of like a 403, um, sorry, a 401K is there's a 403B. And those are very, very similar. Basically, they're different categories based on what kind of a field you're in that are very are slightly different. So I, Anything with a four in it, it's kind of what I'm talking about. Yes. So the the caveat to this to, to these things is that compared to if you invested in the stock market or whatever, is that you, the government can only tax you once on this um the money that you put in and then they don't tax it again when it's growing. So if you're investing in the stock market, every time you make interest on it you get taxed on that. But for the IRA or 401k, you don't get taxed on it. And that's why it makes – that's there's so much more growth potential in a 401k or an IRA, um, which, again, makes it like this – the first thing you should try to max out before you get into um, the stock market or other rents, in my mind. Um, but you can only take out the money – when you're 59 and a half. And if you take it out earlier, you get penalties and other things like that. So, and there's also a maximum you can contribute. 
So for the IRA, in 2017, it was $5,500. You can contribute maximum in $1,800 a year for the 401k. So that's why it makes super, like super more sense to me. Uh, That's not even a proper phrase, but it makes a lot of sense to start early with investing in the IRA as early as you can to at least try and meet that 5,500 because that's only the maximum you can put in a year. So yeah, Bob, there's there's some of these that are that are taxed like for example the Roth version is with tax um now currently. So we talk about how it's not double tax, right? Yeah. The Roth ones are taxed currently and they're not taxed later when you withdraw when you withdraw it. Versus other ones are not taxed now in your current tax bracket, but they are taxed later. Should we just be doing one or the other? Should we be doing both? Bob, what's what's the benefit here? So according to the book, and again, I'm not a financial advisor, so traditional IRAs are what you mentioned, the second one. Basically, um, you get taxed only at the end. So for traditional IRAs or 401ks, um, they're only – so you get taxed at the end, and how much you get taxed at the end is based on your tax bracket that you're in in the later stages of your life. So if you believe that when you're old and when you're going to retire and take the money out – and that you're going to be in a late, lower tax bracket than you are in now, then it makes sense to do a traditional IRA or 401k. But if you're in a low tax bracket now and you're young and you're making like little money, now it makes more sense to be taxed as you go in a Roth IRA um, or a Roth 401k because you're in a lower tax bracket now. So basically what you're saying, Bob, is that no matter what situation we're in, for money, it's all about the numbers. Uh, well, according to this book, yes. But there's also, again, all the mental stuff and um, that you got to work through and all the confusion you got to push through. But I think bare bone, it's the numbers um, when it comes to traditional versus Roth or whatever. Um, but I think generally – I mean, if you just want to flip a coin, you can, but uh, traditional IRAs or 401ks, basically that's when you're like older and you believe that you're going to be in a lower tax bracket and later in life when you retire. And a Roth is if you're younger and in a lower tax bracket now. It makes a lot of sense, dude. You did your homework. You read this book, my friend. Well, the the book was very clear and I highly recommend anybody that like is in their senior year of college or just graduated college or has a job and, or is not even in college, has a job um, in their 20s and 30s to, to get this book and read it. I, I wrote this book in a day, um, oh. so it was it was an interesting book. And, um, yes. That's so awesome. any, any other big takeaways from this book for you? Um, I would say, like, the, so we all heard of credit score. Um, but we've, heard of, we've heard of what? Uh, credit scores, like your credit score. So one thing I didn't know about credit score, uh, especially like, well, I know what a credit score is and then the numbers and a higher number means that it's better, but I didn't know that the lower your credit score, the greater interest on the debt or the loans you have are. So, yeah, I I thought that was very, yes. So I thought that's very interesting. And, and the book compared it to like your credit scores, like your GPA in college or high school or whatever. Um, that's one of the takeaways. A takeaway is when you're investing in like IRAs, 401ks, or any sort of stocks, um, the book recommends like uh, index funds, which is basically taking all of the big stocks and then taking like a little piece of all the big stocks and then um, being a part of that. And the way of diversifying to kind of share the load a little bit. Yes. So, so the book recommends um, Vanguard or Charles Schwab for like 401ks, index funds, investments, IRAs. So, if anybody wants to look into those, they're I think they're dead. I I looked into Vanguard and it looks pretty cool. I've been using Wealthfront to to make investments. Um, okay, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. You want to tell us a little more about? So, Vanguard. Charles Squab or whatever you pronounce his name, um, these are basically like computer computer bank companies 
that allow you to trade funds, buy stocks, um, invest in your IRA, your 401k, put your money in there. Um, I've been using Wealthfront for like uh, investments. So I, I didn't learn about IRAs until like two days ago. So I'm going to be starting to work on putting money into IRA, IRAs. Um, but Wealthfront is basically a robo-advisor. So a robo-advisor is, it's like a person that helps you pick out stocks to buy, but instead of a person, it's a robot. And because they're a robot, the amount they charge you to manage your portfolio is like pennies. So that's what I've been working at. And I, I, I mean, based on the coronavirus times, right now stocks have dropped which means, I think, which that means it's a good time to start investing because the stocks are on sale. But you don't know if it's going to keep on going down or go up. So, it's it's again, you can't time the market. And, again, I'm not a financial advisor or anything, but, but this is basically things that make sense to me and that I'm talking about. Absolutely. I like it, Bob. And like you said, it, it may be a time to buy without being financial advisors because, again, you get something on a low price, especially – uh, and I guess for guess younger people, when we're targeting this to people in their 20s and 30s, the question you have to, have to ask yourself is not will the numbers go down from right now, but will the numbers eventually in history go up by the time I need it? And with the stock market being right where it is right now, it's pretty darn inevitable to think that, hey, by the time I retire, by the time I get even close to that, I want to trade the money or get something out of it. The dark market, the stock market as a whole will be a higher value than it is in this moment. Yes. You know what the funny thing is? It's so so um basically in the book it talks about how the number one principle in um buying stocks and whatever is basically that research that shows that trading in and out of investments yields to lower returns than holding for the long term. So if you just buy the stocks and don't worry about them and just let them do whatever, go up and down, just forget about them. Um, in the long term, as long as you believe that America is not just going to disappear from the map, they're still going to go up in the end. Um, so basically just holding on to the stocks, not worrying about them. So, yeah, I I agree. It's, it's not to... It's easy to let your brain just like rationalize. Oh, the stocks are going down. Everybody's taking out their stocks. I should take out my stocks, um, and whatever. But as, as long as you hold on and trust that America is going to be good, they'll go back up. That that's like again, that's where I that's what makes sense to me um, when I read these kinds of financial stuff. And again, like my fi financial literacy was a three, and now it's probably like a five six. So yeah. um, this is what I understand. It, it's all about small chunks of action to level yourself up just a little bit. Yes. And, again, Absolutely. I highly recommend this book to anybody who wants to just learn more about finances and get the, their finances in order. So we also, uh, When we put out the podcast, we'll have to put the name of the book and author in the description for people. Yes, I'll, I'll do that. Perfect. Um, so, Bob, it's um, – we talk a lot about vulnerability. We talk about a lot about mentality. I want to ask kind of two questions, and I'll answer them too. Um, and I'll let you choose the order of them. Kind of question number one we want to address is, with all this knowledge and understanding, what should be people's emotional relationship with money and kind of how we interpret that? Then question number two is, if you're willing, sharing, you kind of shared a little bit already, but what are your – current financial strategies that you've had um, other than what do you think you might do differently thinking towards the future? Hmm. I like that. Emotional relationships. What should their emotional relationship be with money? Yeah, or not, or not even asking this for other people, but let's say for ourselves as we, as we critically reflect and think on this is that, you know, money is just like age. It's an opportunity. So what should what should our relationship be with money? Because oftentimes we we think of it in terms of scarcity, in terms of I don't have enough. Um, yeah, where, where do you want to take that, Bob? So I, I'm just going to talk about what my relationship was with money is, and I feel like that's that's the easiest way to to just talk about it for for myself. Um, 
for me, my perspective on money is living the life as trying to live your life always below your means. That's how I view money. That's how I view spending money. So if you make a certain money, if you make a certain amount of money, I don't spend nearly as much as close to it, but I try to live below how much I make and save it or invest it or whatever. Um, so that's, that's how I view my money. Now, I think emotionally or like, like mentally, I think it's just a numbers game for me. Um, living below my means so I can live life eventually like nobody else can. Ooh, that's a bold claim, my friend. Yes. So that's actually a claim. I think that's, that's a statement by um, Dave Ramsey. Are you familiar with Dave Ramsey? Uh, not personally, but yes. But it, he, he always has the statement of, you got to live life right now like nobody else, so you can live life later like nobody else. I like it. Action leads to action leads to results. So that's how I view money. It's, it's, I feel like it's mostly just a numbers game. And obviously there's a lot of emotion with money. Like if you lend money, money to people, it could destroy relationships. It could add to relationships and whatever. Um, but I, I think one rule that I've taken away from like listening to, to radio financial podcasts or like Dave Ramsey's or reading this book is that if you're going to lend money to a family member or whatever, never lend money. Just instead, just give it away as a gift. Ooh, um, why is that, Bob? So, this is more, I think this is more like my personal experience, but um, my mom lent money to some of my siblings and the relationship was destroyed because the siblings never gave money back um, and things like that. And I've seen like many, many different, many different encounters of people lending, many of my family members lending money to other family members, not getting the money back, the relationship can be destroyed. But instead, if you just shift the perspective of, oh, I'm just going to give you this money once and you don't have to return to me, the relationship's still going to be solid. And it's clear that they're only going to get the money once and not repeatedly asked for or borrowed from. Um, so that's, that's how I view it. Um, I like it. So when there's so much of the time that you know, money is exchanged for as gifts, as things of value of trading, you know, time and talents or money and opportunity. We're trying to get all that out of it, saying, hey, give it freely if you're going to give it, but don't give it out to be a burden on yourself in the future. Use it for freedom, not use it to bind yourself down. Exactly. Um, and then moving on to the second question of my current financial strategies. Well, Financially, I've been very blessed. Um, I think right now it would be to to try to – my current goal right now, and obviously I'm just working part-time of, of teaching kids um, online English and just making the, the bare minimum. But whatever credit card that I get right now, I'm just trying to eliminate it as much as I can. Um, and then whatever I can – so, so basically, whenever I like have credit card debt, I just pay the entire balance, and I try to get myself accustomed to just always paying off that balance. So I and never so get charged. Just, just to clarify, Bob, we're not talking um, debt in terms of hey, you've missed paychecks and there's a cruel where there's a lot of interest rising. You're just talking about hey, when it comes month to month, I'm just paying it. Yes. So, and obviously, I'm not buying that many stuff, that much stuff. Um, Actually, it really since I came from story. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was in story. That's like my passion. <laughs> well, I don't know if I don't know if you're gonna like it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yesterday. So I, I read this book and it talked about like overdraft fees and it talked about how if you just call the bank over what? overdraft fees. So basically, okay. if you don't have enough money in your account and you get charged like for your account the bank pays or the bank charges you like 30 to $40 um, 
to protect your credit score in case so you don't get overdrafted. So that happened to me like last month and I read this book and this book, so the book that we just talked about and the book talked about if you just call them and ask if you can get it waived, um, they'll waive it for you. So yesterday I called my bank. I asked them if I could get it waived. It was my first time getting an overdraft fee and I had a bank account with them for like years and I've been paying my bills on time for years and lo and behold, it was waived. So that is my side tangent story. It, it doesn't hurt to ask if you get charged with like, if you get dinged with like a late fee with uh, an overdraft fee, if you call them and ask, maybe you'll get it waived. And that's an additional like 30 or $40 that you can like have for whatever. There you go. I like it. But going back to what else I can talk about, um, whenever I spend money on my credit card, I just try to pay it off entirely so I don't get dinged for additional interest or whatever. Um, and then whatever money I have, I just try to throw it into um, uh, like a stock or like an index fund. Um, hope, hopefully, as, as the economy rides out, interest will occur. And but, what, Bob, what, what index fund do you use? Are you doing like an S and P 500, or what are you looking at? So, so just a, I'm using, like I said, uh, a robo advisor. So basically, I just put money in, and then the robo advisor picks the stocks for you, like picks whatever index funds based on your age, based on what risk you want, um, in terms of investments. Okay, and and I'm gonna get detailed just because I'm curious for myself and for everybody out there listening. And not saying, again, we're not financial advisors. We don't always know what we're doing, but we're just trying to stay informed and get better. There will be probably people listening to this that think this is fundamental and easy and basic. And there will probably be others listening to like, well, I don't know about any of this. I want, I want to get exposed more and to get a better yes. um, understanding. And that's, that's great. So what, what kind of risk category are you putting yourself in? What are you trying to accomplish with this? So I'm just trying to beat inflation. That's what I'm trying to beat. Um, inflation, I think these past few years, if I, I looked it up like two days ago, it's around like two to to three percent inflation, which is, which is crazy when bank accounts give you like 0.2 percent now per year. Well, savings accounts give you pretty much like yeah, 0 0.2, 0 0.1. Um, so especially with like online savings accounts or money market accounts those give interest rates around like 1.8% one or 2% interest rate per year, um, which counteract inflation by a little, but not by that much. Um, and then that's where like the retirement funds of like IRAs, 401ks, counteract that because at, on the average of a 20 year span, the returns are around 7% for stock markets, for index funds, especially. Um, and then they're, they're most most profitable for IRAs and 401ks. Nice. I think that's key to pay attention to that. It's not just the year to year and not always being so bogged down, but like Bob was saying, the more people trade around, for some people it works out great, but oftentimes if it's too overwhelming to understand, hey, diversify, put it in there, and forget about it. Right? Let the money grow and deal with it later when you need it. Exactly. Um, and I, th I think also another important thing to clarify for retirement funds is when you're putting money in the retirement fund, you're, you're I, it's, I, I used to believe that you're just putting them in and then it just magically grows somehow. But when you're putting money in the retirement funds, you're putting the money into investments as well, like um, index funds, um, stock market, cash, gold, whatever. Um, and it just grows tax-free when compared to some other investment that's not tax-free. Absolutely. Uh, I thought that was uh, interesting. But but what is, what is your – so you asked me these two questions of emotional relationship or your relationship to, to money and your current financial strategies. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Nick? Yeah, absolutely, Bob. So um, I'll talk the emotional part because, again, it's always about the why before the what and the how. Um, so I would say my emotional relationship with money is, let me put it this way. I'll tell you about my biases 
and I'll tell you, uh, tell you about where I strive to be. And probably where I am currently is somewhere halfway in the middle. So I'll say my biases, I have a kind of innate bias to be um, very um, attached to them, the right word, they're careful um, and very uh, hesitant to give it out unnecessarily. Um, I wouldn't say it's Scrooge, not to that extreme, but say, hey, let me be uh, let me be resourceful, let me be kind of patient with it. And so that's kind of my bias for an emotional attachment. But when I think about it, money and financial freedom, you know, freedom, having money and having access to that, money doesn't make you good or evil. Money makes you have the ability ability to do more of what you already are, what you already have. And part of that for me is trying to have a heart of generosity through that too. And that if I'm, I could think about what am I willing to give my time to? Well, my time is a, I have to think about my time is a more valuable resource than my money, right? So if I'm willing to give my time to something, why wouldn't I be willing to give my money to it? And a lot of us kind of have that back backwards. So we've got to get that figured out. And so for me, it's about, okay, let me have a heart of generosity with this too. Don't feel bad about, hey, if I, you know, see a homeless person that um, I've seen a line, stuff that they're in need and know it ultimately, I don't know if they're trying to scam me or not, but um, I may not give them a $5 bill, but let me give them an extra snack I got. Let me buy them a slice of pizza or something like that. That's the way I kind of rationalize it and works well for me. Um, you know, let me be giving, let me not feel bad about, hey, let me buy a freaking awesome present for a friend. It doesn't mean it's tons of money, but let me just be willing to do that. And so for me, I think that's a extremely helpful attitude for me that I try and have a relationship of, hey, don't feel guilty giving away. If you're going to attract money to yourself, that mentality, in that mentality, stop being so scarce with it. Because it, it's kind of, this is almost like a weird like, law of attraction thinking, but if money sees you being scarce, then how's it going to react with that? And, you know, some people believe in that. Some people don't. I go back and forth, whether it's an influence or not. But I try and be very, have a similar gratitude with my money and appreciation for giving of my gifts with money as I would my time. So that's, like that. my, yeah, that, that's my emotional relationship with it, Bob. Can I add something real quickly? Please do. So, so going back to to Dave Ramsey, he has this like baby step system of like getting to financial freedom. And you, you mentioned one thing of like giving back or whatever. Um, and basically, his baby steps. I'm just gonna like give a summation of of his baby steps. So, I think step one is like having a $500 emergency fund. Step two is having the ability to pay off all debts using the debt snowball, so tackling the, the lowest debt you have first. Then step three is to have three to five months of um, three to six months of a emergency funds. Maybe step four is investing 15% of the household income into pre-tax investments like Roth IRAs or whatever. And then it's paying your home off early. And the last one is to give like nobody else. So once you finish paying off everything, then you give like nobody else. And he talks about like when you buy steak, steak's going to taste pretty much like normal after your 100 steak that you eat. Um, but it's it feels so much better to give people money or give people things. Um and, and I think that that's relates to what you're talking about, but yeah, yeah keep on no, going, I, Nick. I, I appreciate that addition, Bob. And it's interesting when we think about, hey, this is kind of the what we see and what we perceive at the end of the spectrum. Well, it doesn't mean that we just have to. It's not zero to 100 on the first step, and I pause. Then zero to 100 on the second, then I pause. Zero to 100 on the third. We can be slowly investing in all of them, and so oftentimes it's with our mentality that tells us where we are. So if my mentality tells me, hey, I can't I know I can't give a lot, but I can give a little. I can give a little for the things that mean a lot. Maybe that puts my mentality at the higher place where the numbers don't follow it yet. 
but it puts myself in a belief state that my actions will follow that belief state by having those actions that believe in investing in the right way. Hey, maybe I that will have a better opportunity to lead me there. At the very worst, it's not going to hurt anything, and I'll be living a good life. Yeah, I like it. So, so for for practical things for me, again, for better or worse. Um, so I am out of school. I've got you know grad school and undergrad school debt and that kind of stuff. Um, so what I was doing in school was I was just paying you know small monthly amounts to kind of chip away at it, basically keep up with the interest. Um, now that I'm out of school, I actually did a, a period of forbearance where the interest still um, will build up, but I'm technically I don't have to pay anything for the student loan um, because I am in like a medical residency right now. Um, so I don't have to pay anything, but I kind of left to. So it's great having that freedom. Um, so my so what I decided to do for um, joining my job for investment is that um, through through Kaiser, they how you mentioned Bob that companies can match. Um, they 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 do not they do not match at all. Um, what they do is that they give I believe it's a two or three percent automatic you know, like a three percent automatically but you only get access to it if you work there for over two years. So that doesn't necessarily do anything for me, but I can choose to invest a certain percentage of my income um, in their plan through Vanguard for like a retirement plan. Um, and so what I did is I went ahead and I said, okay, let me, I'm still going to try and pay down student loans over time. So let me, let me, you know, invest in myself and make this happen. So I'm pretty sure what I did is I did, I did, 2% and 6%, um, which was more than what I absolutely needed to do, but it's what I wanted to do and I, what I think I could squeak by with, with the, having a high run out here in the city of LA. Um, so I did, I can't remember, Bob, if it was the Roth IRA or um, the regular, I think for the regular 401k, I did 2% of my income, but then 6% of my income um, was for the Roth, just to try and get a lot of benefit out of both of those. And that was something where I feel like I could be sustainable at and, and feel really good about investing kind of 8% of my income throughout the 30 hours I worked a week during the year into retirement in the future. Um, so that's the strategy I used for that. In addition, my other employer, so my other physical therapy job, they came out with a benefit where, um, which is actually really nice. It's kind of a win-win because they don't lose any money. But what they can do, Bob, is that for my normal paycheck, whatever I'd make, I can choose to take out a certain amount of that, and that amount of money, um, they will be able to um, donate to go against my student loans. Um, so this doesn't count for whatever I would normally play, pay, but this is in addition to. Um, so I do a very small, modest amount per paycheck that goes out um, of my hourly wage um, to pay my student loans, but that's pre-tax. So it counts on my wages, my employer does that, um, but I don't pay ta income taxes on those, what basically equates to a couple hours per paycheck. So that's a way, that's a way that I can um, help reduce that a little bit and still feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, and certainly I, I have, well, I'm only doing a small amount in that because again, there is uncertainty. I don't want to live in a mode of scarcity, Bob, there is a lot of um, uncertain times now in this coronavirus situation. Um, so I want to have um, a little bit of extra cushion, um, which basically means, you know, let me have a basically a, a two-month cushion for myself right now where, hey, if I absolutely needed to, I could get by. Would I be at zero after that? Yeah, but I can get by for two months. Um, so that's kind of my strategy, my whereabouts, where, um, you know, I want to – I do want to be aggressive with my student loans uh, and do what I can, but I am going to kind of wait and see, hey, do new laws, do mandates with the coronavirus situation, will those help kind of chip down the student loans themselves um, and see see what things come out of that that I, I would be able to benefit from. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now with my current whereabouts. Like what we talked about is I try and live under my means too. You know, I'm a guy that, I'm totally content with having not a lot, with living a relatively simplistic lifestyle. Um, you know, I, I, I eat a lot and I don't feel guilty about, let me eat some food that doesn't cost too much, but it's also really good for me taking care of investing in my body. 
So I do pay some money for that for sure. I don't feel guilty about, hey, let me invest in some things that have a great kind of cost opportunity. Like uh, I bought myself a new mace recently to do for some weighted training now that we don't have a gym. And do that cost money? Absolutely. Do I freaking love it? Absolutely. I'm getting every penny and more out of it. Um, so I don't feel guilty for, for buying those sort of things and, and treating myself. But similar to you, Bob, it's, it's about living within and even a little bit below my means um, in ways I'm perfectly happy and content to maximize my future. I love it. That's, that's a great, that's a great way to, of living right now. I mean, you did mention you, you have a financial cushion of two months, um, which is a little bit risky um, in your words, I think, but it seems like the way you're handling financials, you do have a good grasp of where you are in terms of financially, um, which I personally feel like many people don't really know where they are financially. Um, and I think that's like the first step of financial freedom of just knowing where you are at and being honest with yourself. And I think what helped me a lot too, Bob, is that, you know, from a, from a somewhat young age, my parents always tried to involve us in that. Um, and actually, if there are any kind of parents or young parents listening to this, I would highly encourage them from a young age when I was like six or something, my dad went to the, went to the bank with me. Um, with my brothers when they were around that age too. And he opened a bank account for us where he would, instead of giving us like, I mean, it was like nothing. It was like what, two, like a dollar a week or something like that or whatever it was. Um, but we have our little allowances or doing chores around home and stuff. And um, for like extra, like whole days of yard work, and we'd like get a little bit of money. So he'd teach us about the value of hard work and money and kind of show us about, Hey, this is what you have in your bank account. And here's, you know, what you can use it for or save it. And here's, you know, we didn't get too much into interest, but he basically said, Hey, this is, and this was back when we made like what, 2% on a, on a normal bank account or something where they say, Hey, this is kind of how it's growing. And here's the, the power of that. So he kind of introduced those things to us. Um, and it was never these complicated topics, but it was enough for either language, Bob. So as I got curious about Roth IRAs and 401ks and what the heck does this mean? Um, I've got somebody else to go to for a resource. So I think that sometimes as, as parents, this is myself saying that I'm totally not a parent. I'm totally, dude, I don't, I'm not even married or anything yet. Right. Um, but like as people with responsibilities for others, we don't have to know everything. We just have to sometimes point people in a direction where we can spark their curiosity. And I think that's where our greatest responsibility lies whenever we're mentoring others is admit what we don't know and kind of point them in a beneficial direction to spark their curiosity and let it grow. And I think that doing that through anyone, but specifically around the lens of money, is a pretty cool opportunity. I, I like that. I think that's a great place to, to also put a pit in this as well. Um, Nick, you're, you're always full of wisdom, even though when it's in areas of not like, especially like our strong suits, you always make it sound like it's very wise. Uh, <laughs> well, let me tell you, I every time we get on this podcast, I learn something from you. Even if it's just like a terrible bad joke, I always learn something from you. Perfect. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> so, Bob, I want I want to give a little shout out. I want to give a little shout out. So, I was this shout out is actually obviously not going to say their name, not going to say a diagnosis, not going to say anything, but uh, they will know who I'm talking about. I was having a telehealth call with a patient today on the day that this episode was recorded. And it had been a while since we had seen them um, because, you know, the whole coronavirus thing, yada, 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 there's a big gap. And so about a third of our talk during the session was actually about strategies of accountability and strategies of, hey, how can we really reinforce these right behaviors? And not just for the physical movement and behavior patterns we have to get, but honestly, we, we kind of got into it for life in general and how can we do this and you know it was extremely beneficial because it's breaking down and hey when is this feasible when during the day how can you be accountable what are you going to write down hey here's a certain time you got to pay attention to let's write this stuff down and do it okay that works within your system and they had already kind of developed a, a system an app they use to track their things and use it and they said hey i was crazy motivated a few weeks back i stayed on top of for about a week and a half and they even showed me the app um and I was like, hey, that's awesome. Like, how, how are you doing with it? And it's like, well, I was doing pretty good. And then I stopped using it. 
that I'm not doing as good. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, it's great to have a great system in place, but then guess what? You kind of got to, you got to do it, right? You got to use it. So I want to give a shout out to this patient who, you know, I think they're crazy committed. First of all, they're an awesome person. Not that any of my patients aren't awesome people. Let's be real. Um, hopefully that I'm a little more awesome because I get to know them and they're a little more awesome because they get to know me. That might be a stretch. Um, but hey, we'll go with it. I kind of like it. What I will say though is I want to give him a little shout out because I was talking about accountability the whole time. And I even mentioned this, you know, that hey, dude, I do a podcast on the principle. I talked about this with you, Bob, on the principle that hey, dude, we're just holding each other accountable. We're going after this. And it's like just honest conversations, two real dudes going at it, trying to make our lives a little better one action step at a time. So he uh, he said he pulls it up and he might give a listen. So if he does, boom, this is for him. Perfect. Also, speaking of accountability, last week I talked about how I wanted to read 100 pages of the yes. textbook. So I started yesterday. I looked at my book. I was I just opened it, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to re- read 100-something pages or 100 pages. But I knew I had this call with you, so I cracked open the book. Just sat the whole day um, out of what a fireplace and just read the textbook. And I actually read um, around 150 pages of thick Dude. material. So, no. it, 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 Bob, isn't it amazing when not only you get little things that can tell you to say, hey, I have to do this now, but you, so you set the bar high, lower, somewhere in the middle, but you're like, hey, once I started, I'm actually really enjoying this, taking up momentum, and hey, it feels good just to give myself the extra credit and do it for the sake of doing it. Exactly. So I'm halfway done with the book, and I'd like to read another 100 pages, or at least, well, yeah, I'll, I'll say another 100 pages awesome. um, for the book. And then next week awesome. we'll have something also amazing to talk about, just like every other week, Nick. Yes, we will. And I, I want to add something for myself, too. Yeah. So um, these last two weekends, I had residency courses where we had both Saturday, Sunday, boom, Saturday, Sunday, boom, got it. Well, I've been, um, this weekend I have off, right? I have off. And I was planning on, I've been enrolled in these two kind of courses. One I paid a small amount for, one I got for free. Um, One's a, and they're all online, pain science course for one. Um, Another one is about being a, um, kind of being a uh, sports contractor. As, as a physical therapist, as a health professional, and how we can do that, be like an independent entrepreneurial sports consultant. But then um, I got a text message or an Instagram message from one of my uh, good buddies who was in the residency with me, and he was telling me about uh, PT researcher Kevin Wilkes is putting out this free class. So he's having a free class on Saturday, just an hour and a half webinar thing. So I'm going to do that too. So this weekend, I'm going to nail out those three Con Ed courses and absolutely love it. And honestly, Bob, for these other two that are not Kevin Wilkes one, but the other two that are self-paced, like I'm just looking forward to like, hey, let me get in there for like half an hour at a time, learn a lot, do 30 minutes, and then go outside for 10 minutes and just do like a workout, like swing the weight in the maze, jump rope, and then come back in, 30 minutes of learning, boom, right back outside, 10 minutes of that stuff, just get the heart rate up and just feeling good, man, get those endorphins going. I like it. I'll. I'll keep you accountable. So you said you wanted to do 30 minutes, exercise, look through them, especially the self-paced um, courses, enjoy them. The Kevin Wilkes course, you're going to sit through. It's Obviously, it's it's live. Um, so I know that sounds very exciting. Absolutely, Bob. So it's going to be a good time, and we'll uh, look forward to catching up next week. Nick, before we go, let me ask you, so is the pain science course with Justin Dunaway? Uh, no, it's not. It's actually with uh, Jared Maynard uh, from the Clinical Athlete Group. But t- tell me about yours, because I haven't actually heard that name. Justin Dunaway? Yeah. Uh, he, and, he and, was that, the... and that may just be my ignorance. Well, I think – well, th- okay. <laughs> so last week we shared a podcast. We talked about a podcast. Oh, I think yeah, you shared yeah, the podcast yeah, yeah. with course. Um yeah. With, Never mind. With, it's clicking now. Yeah. Yes. So, so basically, he's with ICE Institute of Clinical Excellence. He has a pain science course for it's like a, a eight week pain science course um, that I took a while back. Um, but I, I could share a little bit more about the that next week along with I all. Say, your I think I think that's a battle well. for for next week, my friend. We don't want to yes. uh, 
you know, I think we've overwhelmed some of our audience already. Um, they're, they're a brave crew for riding the rough sails with us, and I think we need to land them at shore. Perfect, yes. So we'll keep each other accountable for our goals that we set this week when we meet next time. Okay, Nick? All right, brother. Be well, my friend. Perfect. Thank you. See you next week.